0: Hello, my name is Leif, and you're listening to... Health in our last episode, we talked about diets from Atkins to Zone, FODMAP to eating to your blood type, fruitarian, and everything in between. We talked about how elimination diets can give us a better understanding of our individual food needs and sensitivities, and how the only surefire way to lose weight is to maintain a calorie deficit. This week, we're turning our focus to something a little bit more controversial in an episode that I'm calling, Fake Milk and Fake Meat. As we barrel ahead into climate change, woke culture, and the side effects of our social programming, eating plant-based doesn't hold the same level of shame or judgment as it once did. Mounting literature tells us that eating plant-based more often can help us reduce our carbon footprint, boost our health, and increase our lifespans. So it really was just a matter of time before being plant-based took hold of the mainstream. It wasn't so long ago that the USDA had Americans thinking that, without dairy, your brittle bones would crumble and blow away. Or you weren't a real man, or even an American, if you didn't eat meat. There has been generations of marketing to maintain the status quo to keep factory farming booming and the demand for livestock strong. So here we are. It's 2020, and just about every major fast-food chain has a plant-based feature, and you've got about 10 different alternative milks to choose from. So where's the problem? Well, in our quest to meet the growing needs of the consumers, we've fallen into a trap that we commonly find ourselves in, and that's skipping the most important step. Sustainability. As the popularity of almonds has skyrocketed over the past two decades, more than doubling to over a million acres of almond orchards, most of which grown in California's Central Valley, the unsung heroes are struggling to keep up. And those heroes are honeybees. Billions of bees are shipped in from around the country from as far as Florida and New York to the only place in the United States that almonds are commercially grown. California, to meet the $11 billion demand. They're taken out of their winter dormancy two months early, fed corn syrup and pollen patties, and are sent to pollinate almonds that have been drenched in 35 million pounds of pesticides. These pesticides include herbicides like Monsanto's glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup, fungicides, and insecticides, Glyphosate has been shown to disrupt the stomachs of bees, and insecticides, although meant to target mites, can be lethal to bees as well. It's no secret that these chemicals are harming bees. When colony collapse began to draw attention, neonicotinoids were identified as one of the main culprits. Neonicotinoids are a powerful insecticide that when absorbed by plants can end up in the pollen and nectar, killing off butterflies, bees, birds, and other wildlife when exposed to it. Last May, the EPA pulled a dozen neonics from the market following a successful lawsuit brought by beekeepers and environmental groups. So you would think that as we become more aware of the relationship between pesticides and bees, pesticide use on almonds would decrease. You would think. But at least as of the most recent data from 2018, Pesticide use continues to rise. We've had to bend the natural behavior of honeybees around almonds. This is a direct quote from Charlie Nye, who runs the bee research operation at the University of California, Davis. And so we've got two parts of the equation here. We've got pesticide use and disrupting their dormancy. But because all of these bees are in close quarters with one another, they're also putting each other at risk risk of disease and illness to be spread from colony to colony, and also the spread of parasitic mites that feed on honeybees. With all of these factors combined, you're looking at a loss of almost a third of colonies during this winter period. Beekeepers are able to split colonies and work on rebuilding populations afterward, but as the demand for almonds continues to grow, almond growers continue to seek out more and more colonies to come to California to pollinate, each year are putting more bees at risk. So what can we do here? We can... buy organic! This is basically my solution for everything nowadays. Buying organic is going to put you and the honeybees at a much lower risk of exposure to pesticides. We can also lighten the load and try out some other alternative milks, like oat, hemp, coconut, cashew, flax, Rice, macadamia nut, or soy. Keep an eye out for organic on those as well. Soy! Speaking of soy, I'm going to take you on a little trip down memory lane. Picture this. It's 2018, and with buzzing excitement, I find out that a brand new plant-based burger is coming out. This is what I've been dreaming of for the better part of my life. A burger that can compete with the real thing, not some rubbery brown hockey puck with fake grill marks on it. A burger I can truly enjoy, for the first time since I was a kid. It's called the Impossible Burger, and it's so exclusive that they're only releasing it one restaurant at a time to make sure it's prepared to perfection. It's a bright pink ground patty that bleeds when it's cooked and tastes as good as beef The only thing that I can think is, where can I get it? I finally track it down, order it, and take my first bite, and the rumors are true. It's the best plant-based burger I've ever had, but I feel like it could be prepared better. So I try it somewhere else and order it again, and it's magic. It's buttery and rich, salty and satisfying, gooey and firm with the right kind of bite. Brimming with curiosity, I have to know which restaurant prepares it best, so each time a new restaurant starts carrying it, I go sample their take on it. These burgers aren't cheap either, but they're so worth it. And it's for research. Before I know it, I've been to every California location and can say with conviction that they have nailed this burger. Restaurants start popping up that sell this burger exclusively, like Monty's Good Burger in LA, that has the simplicity and fandom of an in-and-out with a consistent line around the block. It's a vegan dream come true. And then comes the bad news. The secret ingredient in the Impossible Burger comes from an ingredient found in legume roots called heme that mimics the taste and behavior of blood, giving the Impossible Burger its trademark flavor and bleeding effect. Yes, the original marketing for the burger showed heme being extracted from roots, but the way that they were able to mass-produce the heme is by genetically modifying yeast to produce it. And since this is such a new ingredient to enter the food system, that doesn't have any long-term safety testing, they did what many companies do, and they tested it on rats. They gave 188 rats this genetically modified heme as soy leghemoglobig <laughs> as soy leghemoglobin. Soy legemoglobin <laughs> something like that. And the rats were dissected after the trial. The CEO of Impossible Foods, Patrick O. Brown, says that avoiding this dilemma was simply not an option as it is industry standard to perform rat feeding studies to demonstrate that a food ingredient is not toxic and is safe. Brown, who has been vegan for 16 years, claimed that his team sought to do the least harm choosing to use a minimal amount of rats, housed in the best conditions possible, at a laboratory known for humane practices. A laboratory known for humane practices that tests on animals knowing that this is a sacrifice that will save more animals in the long run than we're lost in this trial. So that's one hiccup. Next, they changed their formula from the 1.0 version, which used a wheat protein, to the 2.0 version, which used a soy protein-based patty. And not just any soy, they unabashedly use genetically modified soy as one of the primary ingredients in the Impossible Burger. And their defense for this is that in buying GMO soy locally, they're reducing their carbon footprint, uh, rather than buying non-GMO soy from Brazil. I personally don't accept this carbon-reductive argument, as there is absolutely soy grown in the United States that is non-GMO, or organic, but since their trademark bleeding effect is from genetically modified yeast, they probably figure there's no point in going non-GMO with the soy. We've talked about how soy is the second largest crop grown in the United States after corn, and it's one of the most commonly genetically modified crops with over 90% of soy being genetically modified to withstand glyphosate, the herbicide that disrupts the bacterial flora in our guts and has been linked to various forms of cancer. GMO soy is on my do not fly list, but hot damn if this isn't a tasty burger. Here are some of the chains you can find it at right now. Applebee's, Burger King, Hard Rock Cafe, Little Caesars, Qdoba, Red Robin, Cheesecake Factory, Umami Burger, and White Castle. Luckily, it wasn't long before another hero came along with the strength to carry on. On May 2nd, 2019, Beyond Meat became the first plant-based company to go public on a major stock exchange. When the market opened, the stock exploded, becoming the best performing stock in almost two decades. To celebrate the stock going public, on May 3rd, locations everywhere gave out free Beyond Meat burgers and tacos, adding momentum to their cause. The stock opened at $25 per share, and it rocketed to $239.71 on July 26, a couple months later beyond has a quality product that didn't have to go through all of the hoops that impossible went through to make their way to consumers they might not have been the first ones on the scene but they were armed for success when they got there you can find beyond meat at carl's jr courtyard marriott del taco denny's dunkin donuts pita pit subway taco del mar tgi fridays veggie grill and Yard House, as well as dozens of grocery stores. Beyond Meat is without a doubt, Impossible's biggest competition, and they are non-GMO. Their patty is made of pea and rice protein, but both patties have been found to have some glyphosate in them. The GMO soy-based Impossible, unsurprisingly having a higher amount than the Beyond Meat. A spokesperson from Impossible Foods was quick to point out that the amount of glyphosate in parts per billion was still lower than FDA limits, and lower than is sometimes found in organic farming from secondhand exposure, so it's your call. But for me, I think my impossible days are over. But it's not just plant based burgers that'll have Roundup on them, regular beef's got it too. Looking at the nutritional profile of beef versus the Impossible Burger versus the Beyond Burger, The winner is, drumroll please. None of them. They're not healthy. (laughs) They should be viewed as a treat and not something eaten regularly. The carbon footprint is going to be lower on the plant-based burgers, and you get the bonus of not killing an animal, so when you go to treat yourself, that's probably the way to go. One day, there will be a nice, organic, plant-based burger that satisfies in the way that these burgers do. But at the moment, these are what we've got. These are exciting times though. It's amazing how quickly the industry can change. Just a year ago, virtually none of these places had a decent plant-based burger or taco option. And look at them now. I feel like every time I go to the grocery store, I'm finding something new and exciting that I can't wait to try. And you know what your biggest ally will be as the world becomes more plant-based? Reading labels. This has been and still is one of the best tools we have at our disposal. If you care about what you're putting in your body, read the label for the foods you eat, for heaven's sakes. It can be incredibly illuminating. I was just at a grocery outlet the other day and I read the ingredients for a Sour Patch Kids cereal and it had some of the most appalling ingredients I had ever seen marketed as a kid's food. It gets easier, and it gets quicker, and eventually you'll only need to read the labels once. But do it! No one's gonna look out for your health but you. And that's it this week. Another lickety-split quick one. And oh my gosh, we're seven episodes into this eight-episode season, which means we've only got one episode left! Can you believe it? It's been so eye-opening. Or ear-opening. We've covered a lot of ground, and we've gotten more in tune with our bodies, and every two weeks we've learned new ways of reducing harm from our everyday lives. And we're going to all live to be 100. Watch. If you learn something today, and you want to share it with someone, pass this podcast along to your friends, your family, your woodshop teacher, your favorite boutique candle maker, your divorce lawyer your pet masseuse, or anyone who's made your life interesting that you want to have the best shot at living a long, healthy life. This has been an incredible ride for me, and I might start turning off some of the lights, but in the meantime, follow Health Righteous on Instagram or Facebook, tear this podcast apart in a scathing review on Apple Podcasts, or Give it five stars and say I am a healthy genius. Consider becoming a patron. I am currently accepting patrons on Patreon and sponsorship of many kinds. So visit patreon.com/slash healthrighteous or shoot me a DM. Thank you for listening. It truly is a demonstration of self-love, self-kindness, compassion. Greatness, all of it. Now get out of here and tell the world how great this podcast is. Come back in two weeks for a brand new episode. The final episode of the season and maybe forever, who knows? And we will see you next time. And until then, this has been...